0: Welcome to the Control Alt Azure podcast. I'm Yussi. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud.
1: Hey, and welcome back again to another episode of Control Alt Azure. My name is Tobias, and I'm back with Yussi. What's up?
0: Hey, Toby. All good here. I came to the realization that I turned 44 in April Quite and, and, and the challenge of course is I turned 44 because I, I feel I should be turning 29 or 31 or something like this uh, and, and for this I think I need a present or, or a gift that I buy and give to myself just to celebrate that I turned 44 <laughs> and initially I thought that would be the Lego Millennium Falcon. But the challenge in there is that once it's assembled, and I don't know how long it takes, but once it's done, it's huge. I I, I think it's like three feet, which I think is one meter in length. So where do you put this? That's. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't do
1: Legos. Uh, <laughs> I cannot answer that.
0: <laughs> and, and I figured, okay, perhaps I'll get it and, and I'll assemble it next year in the new house and I would have this dedicated space. But building a house in Helsinki, the capital area in Finland, the, the the land is quite expensive. So just reserving like one square meter for a Lego might be too expensive. So the alternative now that I found out, and I think we had a chat on this previously as well, is the new Dell 40-inch 5K display. So that yeah, would I saw be that nice. one. Yeah, so I, I'm sort of leaning for that, but then I figured I don't really need it. I, I have a great 4K display already, but the 5K obviously looks nicer. So and You also have a lot of displays, don't you? Yeah, I have three displays, <laughs> so I would have to get rid of at least one or two. I'm not sure if I want to give this out yet. So I, I have the option of the, the big Lego with the possible storage problem, the super nice 5K display that I don't have that much need, or I could just get a pizza, <laughs> and, and that would be much cheaper as well. Yeah, and then you have, don't have to think about it anymore either. Exactly. I would go and for I'll, the pizza. I, I think I'm leaning on the pizza based on this discussion, and I, I can, you know, have two pizzas and, and and eat one now and one tomorrow. So <laughs> that's that's my main concern in life now. How about for you? What have you been up to lately?
1: So um, I've been up to a, a bunch of different things, and one is you know spring is hitting us, uh, which is suitable for for this topic, which we'll get into in a bit. So, the weather is getting really nice, so being able to take the family outside for you know some nice walks, and I'm now, with all the new gear I have for my outdoor hiking, I'm planning a trip, which will probably be a three night, so four days in the woods, a uh, solo hike. So we will get some help with the family at home, and uh, yeah, I'll go out by my by myself and um, doing some camping. and on the final day, the family will meet me at the destination we will do a picnic and then I will hopefully sleep for two days. Uh, so it requires some planning because it's still very cold. It is below Celsius. It's freezing uh, at night. And I have everything that I need for my survival in my backpack. So I don't have a car. I don't have any fancy heating equipment or anything like that. I have my backpack, some water, some food, uh, you know, my ignition steel. I don't know the English word for that. Uh, so I can make a fire with sparks. So I, I have what I need to survive, and then we'll see how that goes. And, so a lot of planning.
0: And perhaps if you have space, you could get the Lego Millennium Falcon with you. So it,
1: If you have nowhere to put it, just put it in my backpack. I'll bring it on my solo hike.
0: Yeah, exactly. Once you're done with, um, with, with getting the fire going on, it's 9 o'clock in the evening. I can just throw and, it in the fire. That would help oh, me. Oh, no, no. <laughs> but you don't have anything to do anymore. You, you don't have your laptop. Then you go, oh, yeah, you gave me that Lego. Let me build that now.
1: Yeah, and it's pitch dark and trying to find the pieces in the manual, that's going to be great. <laughs>
0: yeah, and if you lose one, okay, game over. I need to do something yep. <laughs> All righty. so today we'll talk about Azure Spring Cleaning. Uh, so we, we sort of came to the topic uh, based on, on some discussions with customers and because it's spring, but also because Azure has been around for about 10 years now. So So, Toby... How many Azure subscriptions do you have? And I'm talking about subscriptions with with some sort of services that you care about, not necessarily production though. And and how many Azure AD tenants do you have in total?
1: So, AD tenants that I kind of supervise and operate, it's about three different ones uh, where obviously main, the main one is like the the corporate one or the company one. Then I have uh, a couple of others that are not dev related, but they are production related, but in different capacities. Then of course I have many directories. Whenever you get a new 365 test or or dev account, you also get a directory. And obviously I don't count those because that would not be possible to count on my fingers. Um, Other than that subscriptions, uh, production wise, I think 20, 25 um, different subscriptions that I manage for different production workloads operate a a lot of uh, microservices, they're spread out, and we have different regions for different things. And we use also subscriptions as a kind of a bucket of isolation. So we can put, um, you know, legal aspects aside, and we can isolate specific customers or other things um, in in specific subscriptions. Um, So I would say that, but then if we count all unique customers who require a new subscription hosted by us, well, then Again, it cannot be counted on the fingers, the amount of subscriptions we might have. Um, But on a daily basis, for for the things I have, about 20, 25 subscriptions that are production
0: workloads. That's quite a lot. So I have perhaps a little bit less. I'm thinking that there's, there's about five Azure AD tenants that I look after. And two of those are critical in the sense that if something fails in there... I know that business and 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 consulting and work will stop at least for two companies that I care about. But then um, the three others are sort of semi-test, QA, dev, all sorts of things. And the amount of subscriptions is about eight. So two directly related with these two Azure AD tenants that are crucial and six different sort of Usage. Some of those have stuff we are building on and planning on. Some of those have stuff that I use for consulting and training with customers. And some of those have something that I care about, like the IoT analytics from my home office plant. So obviously, that's crucial as well. But beyond that, I I think that's mostly it. So, in that sense, I, I feel it's quite easy to keep in my head and in my notes the crucial things. And and I, I feel I can I can understand the big picture without needing to go through all of those on on a weekly or monthly basis. Yeah. So working with customers, then often what I hear doing a lot of consulting nowadays is that they they might ask, so what do we have in Azure? And this is this is not necessarily because they have no clue. But it's more about they feel that Azure is going forward so fast. there's hundreds of different services you can choose from, and when you go to Azure Marketplace, it goes to something like fifty thousand different assets and services you can deploy. So often the thing the, the the question is that so we sort of know what we have, but we are not entirely sure so should we do something about this and that's perhaps where we got the idea for this episode as well so before i i work with customers and i would say this applies to you and to myself and anybody listening before you do anything before you do any cleaning you you need to capture the baseline data sort of like orient yourself to figure out where are we today so what would you do if i if i did ask you to sort of say okay Get your crucial subscriptions and and create a baseline so that you know where you stand at. Good
1: question. There's a couple of things that comes to mind. Number one is do we pay for those? Because when I need to clean something up, you know, one factor is the cost. Because if I'm paying for things I don't need, I need to clean them up. Uh easy as that. And this is an ongoing work on my side, of course, but oftentimes it, it kind of slips and you forget about things. On our side though we we kind of automate this so we have recurring tasks, if you will, where we put into place the uh, uh, yeah the capturing of the data as you call it for figuring out what we have so cost being one thing
0: uh,
1: and I think also the the other thing you know is does it pose a security threat or is there a security risk? Are there things we need to mitigate so even if we don't use it necessarily, we might put a priority on cleaning that up if for example, security center and various security tools we use will report them as insecurely configured. So there's there's that aspect as well. And when it comes to costs specifically, my experience here tells me you can use like the built, built-in tools for getting all the costs for a subscription unless that subscription is a sponsored subscription. If it's sponsored using one of those Microsoft sponsorship, like you get the Bizpark, you get the, I don't know the the name of the cloud sponsor deals you get as a Microsoft partner that that we also get, then you cannot use the built-in cost analytics and budget tools. Then you have a different place you need to go to see that cost. And this can be uh, a little bit tricky if you have multiple subscriptions and some of them are sponsored, some of them are not, because when you roll up all the costs in your Azure center, You can see that, okay, the cost now for for this year is 55,000 for for these things. It will not count perhaps the additional 50,000 that you have in the sponsored subscriptions that does not appear. And now granted a sponsored subscription is exactly that. It is sponsored for a limited amount of time with a limited set of credits. But when that time is up and that credit is up, you need to start paying for it. So this is extremely important to stay on top of in that partner center to see the cost. Because when that day comes, even if that is two years in the future, those two years will pass really quickly. And when that day comes, if you're paying fifty thousand per year, you need to put that on your credit card. You know, all of a sudden. So that is, uh, for many, an unexpected cost that kind of just happens because you you lived on the free credits for a while and you kind of forgot about it. So those are probably the things that come to mind. What about you?
0: Sounds good. um I would definitely start with cost as well initially. Um, often with cost uh you might check perhaps per month or per quarter or per year, and you see perhaps per month we are paying two thousand euro two thousand euro, and then, when you put that up to one year, then you figure already right, we had fifteen thousand or twenty thousand in total. But at the same time, we cannot uh, adjust that directly to to a possible sponsorship or something like this. And as as you said, then somebody needs to come up with that budget that we initially had planned to use differently. Um, So Azure cost management definitely would be one. And I also like the, the secure score and the identity secure score to to get a baseline on where are we standing today do we have a score of 100 out of 700 for example and then whatever we choose to do in 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 the spring cleaning we can go back to these scores and say well something did change because now our, our baseline score is perhaps 200 which obviously would be better
1: yeah and i also like this not only to go back and see the score change but you can also get an indication of where you might need to start so imagine you, you identified now that you have hundred different resources uh, or resource group containing resources that you need to take a look at whether you need them or not based on the, um, reports from the security center and secure score, you might shift the priorities a bit and say that all the things that are reporting high or critical vulnerabilities or something that is a, a security risk, you might actually push that to the top of the line You start there. Because if you don't need them, you can just delete them. And then again, the score will be updated uh, to reflect that change.
0: Indeed. And now when when we sort of know the baseline, I usually start with the basics. I go to Azure portal and I click on all services. And ideally here is that I would have an account that would see as many subscriptions as possible uh, from one tenant. And simply by clicking all services, the idea is not that you start clicking them one by one and figuring out, can we delete this, should we disable this, but to get the big picture, to to sort of understand that, okay, do we have 25 resource groups that are neatly named or do we have 2000 resource groups? And I have no idea what this means. And I, I think this sort of boils down to governance And and we did talk about governance in a couple of episodes. I did look those up. So episode 57, 25 and 24 were the key episodes that that we did in, in the past year or so on governance. So let's not go back to governance that deeply now, but what would you say that if you had a chance to, let's say, look at my Azure subscriptions, let's say I have five of those in one tenant. Mm-hmm. And you would click on all services. What would you look initially? So
1: I would I would try to um it depends on how many things you have, of course. If it's mm. something that I can overview in the in the browser, uh in the Azure portal, I would probably group them or resource group first to kind of see how you have grouped your things because different organizations do things differently. Some people do it by region exclusively, others do it by application type, others do it by you know, different types of barriers, if you will, because a resource group is pretty much just a, a logical barrier. And, and I would start there to get an understanding of what you have and how you're logically grouping things. And then I can also group by region, I can group by um, you know the type to kind of see what stuff you have in there. Because when you, for example, group by type, you can, Uh, kind of get an understanding for what things might be a cost factor. If you have 200 storage account, I'm not worried because the cost of a storage account is not that big. But if you have 200 storage accounts in different regions spread out and you have something working with those storage accounts, you might have uh, the cost of the transactions between data centers because then you start to pay for the transactions if it's cross region. So there's things like that. Um, I would probably take a look those things initially. And again, this is a, it depends kind of answer because depending on what that list will give me initially I will make the next decision for what to do next. Um, And I think we talked about it already. I wrote some blog posts in the past and I use this fairly regularly which is the Azure Graph Explorer. You can just type queries and say, Hey, give me all the key vaults get me all the storage account or get me all the resources that I have and group them like this and visualize them like that as you get the you can kind of paint the picture of what you have in, in those t- subscriptions. And if you, for example, wanted me to come in, and take a look, you would in this in this sense, you might have I sign an NDA with you, you grant me a global reader access role to all of these subscriptions that you mentioned. And then I can just go to Azure Storage Explorer, um, sorry, Azure uh Resource Graph or Graph Explorer. And I can type my queries in there and say, I don't have permissions to change or delete or modify anything, but I can see everything. Uh, And as an important side note, I had some discussions with a couple of customers about that previously. If you're a global reader, you cannot see the access key of a storage account and you cannot get access to the key vault secrets and stuff like that. So a global reader doesn't mean that you get to read everything inside of the subscription, but you get to see all the resources, but you cannot read all the properties of all the resources, uh, which is important to understand because when you then grant me this global reader role, I can see the resource, I can see where you have them, how they're configured, what kind of networking you have, you know what locations and regions they exist in, stuff like that. But I cannot get access to some of the data, which is of course important. So I would probably start Azure portal, see all the services, group them differently just to get an understanding of what you have. Then I would head over to uh, uh, the Azure Resource Graph Explorer, type my queries. And actually I do this from the Azure CLI. So I I have my scripts for inventorying an Azure subscription. So I built some scripts and I can just run them from the command line and then I get an output. And the results of that is something that I either can go back into the Azure portal and visualize in the Azure resource graph. And then you can visualize to kind of see how many things do you have in West Europe versus North Europe versus Central US or whatever locations you use to get an understanding for that. But yeah, those are. Top of of mind, what I would start with. And again, of course, coming back to security center that we talked about, and I would probably run my, I also do custom security audits. So if a customer says, hey, we just want someone to take a look at the infrastructure we have and, and the things we have deployed and make sure that things are configured correctly, I also do security audits like that, and I can kind of pull those scripts up. And I do this internally often as well, just to get an understanding what changed, if anything, is there something we need to take a look at and, you know, staying on top of it? So that was a lot of words to only say Azure portal, see the resources, go to the uh, Azure Resource Graph and use the security features in, in Azure to understand where you are and what you have.
0: I can, I can see you've been a consultant as well, because somebody asks you a question, you can easily spend 20 minutes on coming <laughs> to answer. Uh So let's get back to Azure Resource Graph in a bit. One quick point here is that that with the all services, what I've often found out is that if I have the customer next to me, or perhaps now virtually next to me, I can share my screen and say, okay, let's have a quick look on this. Do you see anything out of the ordinary? And quite often somebody goes, hey, I thought we deleted this, this thing here a year ago. Can you click on that resource group? I open that one. And, and you can sort of find something that's out of place quite often. And, and one thing that I often find is Visual Studio Team Services. So VSTS or it was called Visual Studio Online before being, being renamed to Azure DevOps. So these older instances are often still lingering around because nobody sort of knows what should be done with those. They might have old projects that nobody uses anymore. But everything else has been moved to Azure DevOps or GitHub or someplace else. And the challenge I I, I often find with this is that these older services, when they were provisioned, were only supported in a different region than where the customer is now. Meaning the region might be somewhere in the US, like East US. And now the customer is perhaps in West Europe. And they go, well, we don't want, want to have anything in the US unless we have to. So what do did, what did we do with this? So we have found perhaps just one service in Azure that we now need to start spending time on figuring out what can we do with this. And I think this is perhaps the key in the spring cleaning here, is that we identify these tricky and complex beasts that we simply could delete, but nobody wants to delete unless we know it's not being used anymore.
1: Yeah, this kind of relates to, I, I can relate to that problem, I have multiple DevOps setups, and I have uh, these Azure DevOps service principles and resource groups deployed across many subscriptions, you know for a lot of different reasons. One thing that comes to mind related to that is service principles. Also, when you use Azure DevOps and you say, authorize this pipeline to get access to specifically this resource group uh, in that subscription, you know because you don't want to give a global access to to the pipeline, you want to lock it down to a specific a resource group, or even a specific resource, but usually the resource group is enough. Um, and when we do that, what happens in Azure, in Azure AD, it creates a service principle with a name of the DevOps tenant, and then a GUID. And that GUID is the service principal uh, GUID or the, the tenant of the DevOps or whatever it is, I can't remember. But if you now set up another pipeline with a access to a different resource group in a different subscription, it will get the same name with the same GUID. So in my Active Directory, in my IAD, I have, I think, eight or nine service principles with exactly the same name. They have different application IDs or client IDs, of course, uh, but they have the same name. So it's super difficult to just take a look and say, oh, this relates to this pipeline or this relates to that thing, which just as a super quick side note, if you do these things, if you do work with DevOps and you authorize a pipeline to access resources in Azure, It will create a service principle immediately, and here's my tip, immediately go to that service principle in AAD and rename it. Keep the the existing name, but add something at the end or in the middle or wherever you want to uniquely identify it so you know where it comes from. Because coming back to spring cleaning or coming back to any type of inventory and you you get all of a sudden 25 service principles with the same name created over a period of two years, you you can figure it out, but it's going to take a lot of effort. So now imagine you have 2,000 service principles.
0: Impossible. So, fun fact here, I did a quick Google search on Azure Clean. And the first hit was a website called azureclean.com. And I figured, <laughs> oh, the, somebody built a tool for this. Excellent. I opened that. It's a cleaning services company. And and they promised to oh, clean. Oh, for actual company. household yeah. cleaning. Or real cleaning, not this. Okay. <laughs> cleaning thing. So, so whatever you do when you clean, make sure whoever is cleaning knows what they're doing. Um, so we, we talked about cost and, and let's not revisit that because we already did one episode on, on, on FinOps and all that. But a few times in the past couple of months, I've, I've done this cleaning exercise with different customers and, and we've often found a leftover resource group with some unused resources. They they might be named like company name, dash service, dash prod, for example. So, so they look like, okay, this is production stuff. But turns out that it was designed to be a production thing, but then the, the backlog was reshuffled, the team changed, and they figured, let's not do this now. But somebody had already provisioned something. And they sort of let it go and figure, let's revisit this in six months. So we found uh, with one customer, we found this leftover resource group that had a couple of Azure resources. And I I, I looked at at the access log and activity logs. There's nothing for six months. And then I clicked on cost, 760 euro in the past 12 months of nothing. So, nice. <laughs> so I feel that this is time well spent, perhaps spending two to four hours, just quickly going through the resource groups and, and identifying something. And if you find something like this, it's easy to say, well, it was good that we spent two hours because we just saved, who knows how much money in the future. Obviously we're not getting that already spent money back, but at least we are stopping the drain on money on, on this specific instance. Yeah. But then on Azure Resource Graph, so you mentioned the, um, the Graph Explorer, and I often, when I use this, I use it directly from Azure portal. So I go to Graph Explorer and there's this pre-made queries for you. And I like this because there's a button that says list everything that I have. So I click on that one, and then I can start filtering and sorting it out based on the KQL that it has. So what I've used is I get the report on everything, And then there's a button export, and it gives you a CSV and anybody who worked in IT in the 1990s always goes for CSV because that's the best integration data format you have. Excel to the rescue. Exactly. So I've used Excel and Power BI here. And why Power BI though? The, The data transformation capabilities are excellent. So you can easily read whatever in and then transform that data into something that makes more sense. With Excel, and I openly admit, this might be my limited Excel skills. With Excel, I often feel that I format a table, and that's about it. <laughs> <With> power, <laughs> you filter with power a bit Bi- and you, you change the <laughs> <Yeah. your> order. <laughs> yeah, perhaps hide one column and freeze this column, and that's about it. But with Power BI, I don't have to understand anything. I can just click through, and if if I sort of, paint myself in the corner with the data, I can back up a bit by removing those steps that I already did. So, so with Power BI, I can get this neat report. And perhaps the best sort of tip here that I've learned in the past couple of months on doing this is that sort per location. Because this tells you, already we have 2,000 resources in West Europe, but we have 15 in the US and 10 in East Asia, so let's focus on these 25 that are not in West Europe. Instead of first focusing on the, on the 2,000 ones we have in West Europe, because more or less those are good, unless of course we want to delete something.
1: Yeah, that makes sense, and kind of loops back to my thoughts previously about the the regions. Figure out where you have things and why you have them. Uh, so that makes sense. That validates the the thoughts. So how do you, like, you get, the, you get the report and you have your Power BI or your Excel, or you do the KQL like I do in the, in the Azure Graph Explorer and you, and you get the result and you visualize it. Like what is, how do you then make this actionable? Because, I mean, as a consultant and being a consultant for many years before doing what I do now, it can be fairly obvious how you do that. But like for anyone listening in, you see this, you have 2000 resources now listed how do you make this actionable you know how do you get this into a format that you can hand over either to the customer or if you are the customer if you are the if you're doing this at your company how do you turn this kind of report with 2000 rows or 2000 items into something act- actionable and tangible you know are are there any tips how to kind of get around the mental block of oh no now i need to take a look at 2000 things one is of course What we talked about, filter by region, filter by things you know might cost a lot of money, but are there other tips around that?
0: I know this is fairly old school, but I often use the Pareto principle, meaning 80% and 20% of whatever is relevant. And often I find that focusing 80% of your efforts on the 20% of things gives you the best results here as well, like in so many things in life. So, what I mean by this is that I get the the resources. I use my Power BI magic in there by clicking the buttons and sort of reading the the tooltips. Oh, what does this button do? Okay, I need this. And once I have this in place, I then get the cost management report and export that as well. And obviously I should integrate these, but often these are one of things that I feel I don't want to spend four hours integrating this if I just need to do this once for now. And I get the cost management and I add an additional column to my Power BI report and put the cost in there. And now I can I can uh, sort per location and then per cost. And, and in Excel and Power BI, you can add all sorts of nice graphics in there that whatever costs the most will be red and whatever is the cheapest will be green, for example. And now I have the, the most expensive or most costly, let's put it this way, most costly services on the top. And those might be the ones that are not in the region we'd like to. So those are quite obvious candidates for eviction or deletion or whatever else. And I find that with cost, you can talk to anybody in the customer and say, let's have a look at this. This is this fancy Azure Cognitive Service thing. You have no clue what it's used for but it, it's costing you 200 euro per month. And obviously it seems nobody's using this. Then there's something tangible they can handle. They're gonna go, okay, so I understand the money and how much per year? All right, let's figure this out. And this often results in this sort of sub processes within the customer. They, they ping different people, they call new meetings and, and they sort of put this on the task list. And that results in something back to you eventually. It might be an hour from now or a week from now. And somebody says, yes, we don't need it. We can delete this. And and you sort of get this small win in there, not because you're saving the money because obviously you are not getting that money, but it makes then sense to spend more time in future as well on cleaning things up and not wasting money. So this, this was a lengthy answer to something that I feel is simple but it often requires that, that you somehow get cost involved.
1: Yeah, and it is never as simple as you might think. Just like with everything, you might have a good idea or a good plan for how you want to do things, but things happen. You live in the real world, you know, requirements change. Uh, you need to ad hoc create a couple of things for a different project. You need to spin up some new things and things happen. Um, so it's, it's good to be reactive and and understand to take a look at these things. Um, and I know I know, we talked about this in the past, like Azure policies is a good way to kind of prevent these things. Um, so you do things the right way, you set them up the right way and you prevent resources that you don't allow from being created or at least you get an audit report saying someone has now created this resource type which you probably don't want to have. So you might wanna take a look at what that is. Here's who created it, now get, go have a conversation uh so there are different things we can do to uh, to take care of it um are there what what else is there anything else we need to think about
0: so two things one is perhaps fairly obvious but it's also something that's relatively new so i'm i'm not often seeing this utilized and another is is something super niche super specific but it took me a while to figure out that i need to do this as well so the first one that I feel is not used too often. Uh, it's, it's functionality in Azure AD under identity governance. And this is called access reviews. And the, and the idea is that you can conduct perhaps monthly or, or, or yearly access reviews uh, based on users and groups, meaning memberships from users for those groups and it will query all of your users, perhaps for a specific group. Do you still need access for this group? Whatever it does. And you can give them perhaps three days or a week to reply. And then based on what they reply, you can automatically clean up that group. And this applies to guest users, external users as well. So instead of going manually through those groups in your Azure AD, and figuring out, so so who's this UC77 at hotmail.com? Does he need access or not? You can, you can send an email and based on, on those responses you get, you can automatically clean or flag for further review that we need to figure this access out. So I think this is part of security, part of governance and part of the whole cleaning process.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: But the challenge here is licensing. And mm-hmm. axe reviews require EMSE five or Azure Ready Premium P two license. Yeah. And 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 quite often this is not not the case that we could do. So often there's EMSE three, which implies Azure Ready Premium one P one or AAD P one, not P two. So just keep in mind that instead of building something manually, there's already a built-in process as long as you have the licensing in place. But then the other thing, and and this was was something that somebody reached out to me and did ask, is there a solution for this? So in storage accounts, you have the, the access keys. You have the primary and the secondary access keys. And those are often for admins. And as you mentioned before, if you are a global reader, you don't have access to read those so admins managing those storage accounts have access to the main keys and using those you get full access on the storage accounts but then often your applications your users your your uh your different mappings that you use for storage accounts they might need the sas tokens and and those often expire or they always expire but you define the validity period so somebody reached out to me and did ask, you see, I have 2000 storage accounts. How do I see all the SAS tokens that have been created for those? And how can I get rid of them? Yep. And I was like, hold on, let me open Azure portal. O- open the Azure portal. <laughs> yeah, just check Azure portal. It depends. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I go to Azure portal, Oh, uh, hold on, it doesn't list those here. So there's a REST API, of course, there's an API, but this only works per storage account. So you need to be innovative and loop through all of your resource groups, pick up all of your storage accounts and then loop through each of those. And the REST API is called List Service SaaS. And we'll put the link in the show notes. So you need to call this for all of the storage accounts to get the SaaS tokens and then figure out is there something, perhaps somebody created a SaaS token that's valid for a year, but we only needed that for a day. So we really need to clean those up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that that makes sense and I I think when you get the response from that thing do you get things like when it expires um I because w- with that SAS token you can set the expire date so I I would imagine in the response that you get the uh, the end date and then you can pretty much clean up all the SAS tokens that already expired because mm. you if you need to reuse them you kind of need to set them up anyway. So it's a, a low effort way to clean up probably a lot of those tokens, unless, of course, you created a tokens 100 years into the future or with unlimited uh, expiration, which, of course, you should never do.
0: You shouldn't, but I, I admit, I'm testing something. I've got 27 seconds before my meeting starts. I just need to test something quickly. I just put never expire. Yeah, yeah, it works on my machine. <laughs> and then I need to clean them up. Yeah, Um so goes. So, so we are nearing the end. Just a quick few pointers and tips from the top of our heads on what else could be cleaned. So I often find small things that are left behind. So empty resource groups, resource groups that look empty but they have hidden objects like the aforementioned Azure DevOps accounts. VMs, when you get rid of those, they often leave storage accounts, log analytics workspaces network connections vnets all sorts of things that look super valid but you don't really use them anymore so so come up with a plan on both having the governance in place for proper naming because then it's easy for you to figure out that we have this storage account it maps to this vm but this vm doesn't exist anymore so we don't need the storage account but if the storage account is is called files prod nobody wants to delete that even if it's not used anymore and there's data in there. Yep. And also old disks. So, so VMs might have data disks, system disks left over some someplace bef- before a migration took place, for example, and we need to clean those up as well. Uh, can you think of anything else, some small things that people should pay attention to?
1: Uh, I, I mean, I have a long list of things that come to mind, but I don't think we can digest them in, in this episode. So I, I would I would probably leave it there, I think high level for an, any type of inventory and, and cleanup process uh, well even just the inventory, even if you don't decide to clean it up, it's good to get a, an understanding of what you have so you can make decisions later. Uh, I think we touched on that uh, on the, the important things that come to mind, where to start uh, things to look for and what not to forget. Uh, we can of course dive into this talk topic for you know several hours just going through different things we need to check. Uh, but I think we covered most of those things high level where you need to start at least.
0: I, I agree. And initially when when we started planning for this episode, I figured, well, there's not that much we can talk about in here. But turns out when you really focus on on something as crucial as this, there's a lot to think about. Hopefully you found this this useful and before we conclude the episode. We do have the surprising question. So you will ask Toby something pricing. So if you have had one month, 30 days to take off from work and all the usual obligations in your life, what skill set would you acquire? What would you study learn with the hopes that 30 days from now you would perhaps not master that, but be, be better at it and Perhaps it, it should be something that that you don't already know quite a lot about because then there's no challenge.
1: Okay, interesting. I, would, I was going to say singing, uh, which might be a surprising answer, but I it do is. play saxophone, piano, guitar, trombone. I play a lot of instruments, but I am not a good singer. And it would be pretty cool if I could actually sing at the same time as I... As I play, but given I have to acquire the skills, not just snap my fingers. I don't think I have it in me to become a good singer, at least not in thirty days. So that goes off the board. You know, I would probably uh, learn to dive, to take the um, the more advanced certificates for diving. Yeah. You have these uh, different certificates. You know, shipwreck diving. And uh, that requires a specific license, at least here in Sweden. You have these potty credentials and uh, deep sea diving and diving in you know heavy currents and things like that. So if I had no other obligations in life and hope, you know, hopefully and preferably summertime, I would probably take all the diving certificates that I could in that period. I've only been diving once in my life in Egypt in the Red Sea. And nice. that is one of the best experiences I've had in my life. That was awesome. Um, so we did that together, me and, and Helena, whom, whom I live with. And it was fantastic. You can see like 40 meters because it's so clear. And you, we could see stingrays and all kind of cool uh, fishes and colorful uh, things underneath. And such a feeling of freedom. So I would definitely love to uh, kind of indulge more into the... Uh, underworld of of the sea if I had unlimited money I might go to space but
0: I'm not really there so uh, going into the water is probably easier <laughs> that sounds like an awesome plan I did the uh, the paddy uh, intro course I know uh, normally I think you do it in a pool but I was I was in Asia and I find found this guy from Texas and he said yeah yeah we can do this let's go to the open sea immediately it's much nicer and we're like yeah yeah whatever and we did, the first dive was to 27 meters. And when I came up, I figured, all right, this is not safe anymore. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm at the bottom of the sea if something happens. That will be the end of me. But yeah. since then, and this was 15 years ago, since then, I figured I need to get back on that. So if you ever execute this plan, call me. And if you choose to go to a warmer climate, I will join you.
1: Yeah, then that means you also need 30 days obligation free. And that's okay. That would be actually quite nice. Great company. Um, We spend most of the time underwater, so we cannot actually speak. So my ears will not bleed. It's going to be great.
0: (laughs) Finally, you sent Toby, shut up and don't talk about anything. This was fun. Uh, As always, thank you for joining us. And until next time. See you then.